Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. And today, we'll continue in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. So if you want to grab your Bibles, go ahead and open them up there. We'll get there in just a second. But before we do, I wanted to share a quick family story. So back when my dad and my uncle were young, the place to go, the place to be, the place to hang out was the local drugstore. And they would go to the drugstore and there they would meet up with friends and they would get a soda pop. Um, or the most important thing, my favorite thing, I was talking to my uncle this week that he would do at the drugstore is he would go to the rotating display of comic books. And, and he would stare at the comic books and look at them. And sometimes he would be there so long that the store clerk would be like, hey, kid, buy something or get out. And he would tell me he, he, on the phone, he said, like, listen, I wasn't trying to, like, you know, take advantage or anything. It was just I was trying to make a smart financial decision. Comic books were expensive. They were 10 cents. And so my uncle, he, he was trying to make that decision. But he got more and more into comic books, right? And as he got more into comic books, he had a buddy come over to his house and he had this booklet, this magazine, and they're like flipping through it. And in that booklet, it showed the value of different comics. And they come across Superman number one. And its value was over a hundred dollars. And that's when my uncle got this idea. He's like, listen, if I hold on to my comic books, maybe they'll be worth something someday. And from that point forward, he started to get more and more into comic books, spent more and more time at the drugstore, bought more and more comics, stored more and more comics at his house. The only problem was my grandma, his mom, didn't like all the time he was spending more and more with comic books, didn't like all the space that he was taking up more and more in the house. So as my uncle tells the story, one day he comes home, and my grandma has all of his comics in brown paper bags from the grocery store just on the table when he gets home, ready to go out to the trash. But what I didn't realize, I had, I'd heard this story before, but I didn't hear this part. This was new to me. Apparently in the small little town of Washington Courthouse, Ohio, that they lived, everybody had a 55-gallon drum in their backyard. And that drum was used to burn all of your paper trash. And so guess whose job it was to burn the paper trash that week? My uncle Dave. And so my uncle takes his own comic books. My grandma that day made him take his full collection out to the 55-gallon drum and burn to ashes his entire collection. 
Now, I've heard that story a few times, not just because of the trauma of burning something that's valuable to you, but also because my uncle promises that in his collection, he had an issue number 15 of Amazing Fantasy, which contained the very first appearance of a brand new teenage superhero named Spider-Man. And so that might not mean much to you. You might not be into comics, But let me tell you something about value. That comic book last year sold at an auction for $3.6 million. That's a lot of money. Now to my grandma, the comic had no value. To my uncle, right? He saw that there could be value, but he was just hoping that it would get to that $100 mark. But to the buyer at the auction, he saw supreme value and he was willing to pay an incredible price. Each of them had a different perspective on the comic. And because of that, each of them treated the comic differently. It changed the way they valued it. Sometimes we're like that with our own value, right? We don't really know our value and that kind of stems from the idea that we're not embracing our design. See, in our scripture today, what we're gonna look at is is that our value comes from God's design for humanity. So let's pray and then we'll jump into scripture. Father God, you are good. I love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you created us in your image. God, would we see that? Would we be devoted to the idea of community, godly community? And God, would we be fully dependent on you for our identity and our purpose? God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, starting in verse 26. If you would, stand with me as we read God's word together. It says this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And down in verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. You may be seated. So before we uh, jump into my main points, I wanted to just focus on one word. It's actually the very first word of our passage, then, T-H-E-N, right? And it's, it's a very short word, but we're coming to the end of God's creation. And up until this point, there's kind of been this run-on idea, this structure. It's almost poetic. And it goes like this. And God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. And God saw that it was good. And God said, and it happened, and he saw that it was good. And God said, and it happened, and he saw that it was good. Over and over, the same pattern, the same words. But with the creation of man, the pattern completely changes. 
And as I studied this passage, this word then, it really seemed to signify that God was doing something new, something different, something special, something completely separate. He was still creating, but this last bit of creation, it was set apart. See, God goes from filling the earth with creation to creating humanity to enjoy everything that he's created and filled the earth with. It's kind of like putting a puzzle together, right? Is there any uh, puzzle nerds out there with me? You like to put a good puzzle together? It's okay. Don't be ashamed. Yes, thank you. Right? Okay, so like putting puzzles together are great. My wife and I, we like to do it. But what's the best part of putting the puzzle together? It's not, it's not getting the whole border, right? And you know, you like to get all the edge pieces, put the border. That's satisfying, but that's not the best part. It's not like, you know, getting all the red pieces and the blue pieces, and these are going to go in this pattern and whatever. And it's not that. No, what is the best part of putting the puzzle together? What is the part that Jody and I will fight over? It's putting the last piece in the puzzle. Why? Because there's something so satisfying of finishing what you've started. And that's why this then is so significant. Four little letters, but they completely shift the focus to God's crown of creation. Humanity. Us. And God's about to put that last piece of the creation puzzle in its place. And it's different and it's separate than any other piece. And listen, it's a big deal. It's not a big deal because we're a big deal. It's a big deal because of the identity and purpose that God has given us as his image bearers, as his creation. God has designed humanity with an identity and purpose that's different. The question that we're trying to answer today is, what is God's design for humanity? And what I hope we see is that we are designed to bear God's image physically and to share his story verbally, fueled by a complete dependence on him within godly community. So let's dive into that. My first point this morning is that we are designed to bear God's image. Verse 26 says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Kent Hughes says in his commentary on Genesis about this scripture, here, the narrative slows down. During the sixth day, it's almost like slow motion because it's here with the creation of man that we come to the apex of the narrative. So what does it mean to bear the image of God? Well, as I was looking into the word image, one definition is to be cut out. And so when I think about this idea of being cut out, I think about like a, a sculptor, right? And they've got this big block of marble, and then they get out their chisel and they're, they're knocking away and they're chiseling away and all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, eventually, like it, what was just a, a slab of marble now is this beautiful sculpture. And here's the cool thing about a statue or a sculpture is it points to the person who sculpted it. Right? Like Michelangelo's David is, is like one of the most famous statues in all of mankind. But I'll tell you this, there's no way that it, the rain just eroded the marble in such a way as to create that sculpture. No, it points to the sculptor. And in the same way, all of humanity's intricacies point to a creator as well. 
And I think that plays out in two ways for us. The first one is this, that we are the physical representation of God. Pastor Matt Chandler talks about this and he says this about it. Our presence on earth is akin to the ancient Near East when rulers and authorities that ruled over distant lands, there would be statues called an icon put in place there so that there would be an image of a rule and reign of that king. You and I, as mankind, And as human beings are that icon, we are that image of God that shows that there is a creator that is reigning and ruling. See, that's what it means to be the physical representation of God. We are cut out. We are made in the image, in his likeness of the ruling and reigning king. And we are placed here to proclaim our God. So when the world around us that doesn't know our God sees us, our character, our actions, our understanding of right and wrong, the way that we treat others, these things should point people to see that beyond us, there is a creator that is ruling and reigning and he desires to have relationship with his creation. You know, in that amazing fantasy comic book that features Spider-Man, it says in there towards the end of that issue, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. So we physically represent God and take on his character and qualities. But we see further in scripture that like Spider-Man, we have a great responsibility And that is to be the verbal representation of God. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. You know, going back to that idea of the king or an emperor, a king would have had an ambassador. And that person would have gone out to declare the message of the king, whether that was a declaration of war or peace or negotiating a trade or a treaty. What was understood about the ambassador is that it was as if they were the words from the king himself. And that is who we are as image bearers. We physically and verbally represent our creator, God. And when we grasp this idea of being the image of God, then we start to understand our value. See, later in the creation story, we see a more detailed description of God and how he was creating man. And it says in Genesis 2, 7, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Take a a breath with me, ready? In out. That breath and every breath you've taken today, that's God's breath. He gave it to you. He owns that breath and he gave it to me and he gave it to you. God creates life with breath and he sustains life with breath. Isaiah 43, 4 says, I am he who will sustain you. Daily he is giving you breath. Church, What are we doing with it? What are we doing with the breath that he has given us? Have you ever heard the expression, don't waste your breath? Right, it's usually like in like a negative context, right? Like, oh, don't talk to them. Just, they won't listen. Don't waste your breath, right? Or in my house, like, why do I waste my breath in this house? 
right? Because my kids, you know, whatever. Um, (laughs) But what if our worry wasn't about wasting our own breath? But instead we woke up with a thought like this, like, okay, Andy, you've got this breath today. God's given it to you. How are you going to honor God with this breath? Don't waste it. So how do we not waste God's breath? How do we image God? We image God by connecting with God through repenting of sin, believing in Jesus, and living in an ongoing relationship with him. We image God by submitting to godly authority and ultimately God's authority. We image God by serving him in ways that advance his kingdom. We image God by representing all human life, particularly the weak, oppressed, sick, elderly, and unborn. We image God by refusing to live autonomous lives, but contending for community. And we image by suffering well for the glory of God. When we embrace God's image, we understand the value of our breath because it's not our breath, it's his. And when we understand our value and our breath's value, we need to understand all of creation's, all of humanity's breath's value as well. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Allen at Easter, he was talking in Second Corinthians um, about three little words, from now on. Do you remember? He said, from now on. And it went like this. From now on, we are different. From now on, I see and think differently about the world. I see and think differently about myself. From now on, I see and think differently about people. I see and think about my past different than I used to. From now on, everything is different. If we truly grasp that humanity is made in the image of God, this makes everything different as well. We see others differently and we see the world around us differently. Why? Because now that coworker at work that chews with their mouth open isn't just an annoying person. That cousin at the family reunions that is a jerk every time politics coming up, that is not who they are. That person down the road who, you know, is just lazy because their yard doesn't look as good as yours. That's me, by the way. That's not their identity because their identity is created in the fact that they are part of humanity and God has designed them and created them in his image. You know, we're a Southern Baptist church. And if you happen to stop by the really newly designed firstnaples.org and check out how fresh and super cool it looks, that's just a shameless plug to the communications team. Also, great job, Taylor Bumgarner. Um, but if you go to that website, you will see our Who We Are page, and then that will take you to what we believe. And this page shares our beliefs on scripture, on God, on humanity, salvation, and a number of other doctrines. And much of that is taken directly from the Baptist faith and message. And here's what it says about humanity. The sacredness of human personality is evident in that God created man in his own image. And in that Christ died for man. Therefore, every person of every race possesses full dignity and is worthy of respect and Christian love. This means that every life from conception is created in the image of God. Every life, regardless of skin tone, pigmentation, age, gender, abilities, shoe size, or anything else, every life is highly valuable to God and must be protected. You know, as, as a church, as Christians, there are things that we're against, right? Like we're against abortion and we believe that life begins at conception. We're against euthanasia and we believe that all life has meaning and purpose until God calls us home. 
or against gender discrimination. And while the Bible says that there are specific roles, there is no superior gender. And we are against any and all forms of racism. And we believe that the people of God should reflect heaven, which will beautifully include every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages. Albert Moeller, speaking specifically about abortion, says this in his book, The Gathering Storm. The pro-abortion movement has sown a culture of death. It attempts to destroy and to deny the sanctity of life and the consequences are now clear to see. This is what happens when a society jettisons the moral code based on the truth that every human is an extension of God's common grace and a bearer of God's image. Unless this march to death is reversed, the headlines will only become more horrifying and even deadlier. So if what Dr. Moeller said is true, that we live in a culture of death, how do we impact it, right? Like, I'm not the kind of guy that I just like to, you know, oh, there's conflict, I'm gonna tuck tail and run. No, I wanna know, like, how can I get in the mess? How can I be a part of this? How can I impact this culture? If this is wrong, what do I do? Well, what if First Naples didn't just say what we're against, but we showed what we're for, right? And I'm not, I'm not just talking about like, you know, I'm for Chick-fil-A waffle fries over McDonald's fries because either way you're wrong. PDQ fries are way better. But how do we show this culture? Show, not just say, but show this culture what we're for. Well, what if we served at the Pregnancy Resource Center and we encouraged young moms who are choosing life? What if we went to the Florida Baptist Children's Home and, and we cleaned the toilets or did whatever else they needed us to do? What if we went to nursing homes and assisted living facilities to love on and learn from those who are often forgotten? What if Love Naples was an automatic on your calendar and a priority for your entire family? What if we got plugged in to Protected Harbor and we were present for those with intellectual and developmental disabilities? What if we financially supported those who are walking through the adoption process? Or what if you prayed about adoption or foster care for yourself? And what if, church, what if we were so busy doing what we are for that we didn't have time to argue about what we're about or what we're against and what if those things that we are doing showed the world what we are for, that we are for life in always? But we can't do that in our own strength. Which leads to my next point, that we are designed to be completely dependent on God. Verse 28 says, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. This is an incredibly revealing passage because God said he speaks to man and women. He, he did not speak to any other part of his creation and he establishes an identity and a purpose for us. From the beginning, God sets up and establishes a unique relationship with us. And when we're dependent on God, we find out two important things. The first one is this. We find identity through dependence. Pastor Paul Tripp says this. Immediately after creating Adam and Eve, God talks to them. He didn't do this with anything else in creation. He simply rested and moved on. Why did he talk to them? God knew that they couldn't figure out life on their own. They were created to be dependent. God had to explain who they were and what they were to do with their lives. They didn't need this help because they were sinners. They needed this help because they were human. 
This is the first instance of personal ministry in human history. The wonderful counselor comes to human beings and defines their identity and purpose. And church, can I tell you that the same wonderful counselor is defining identity and purpose in his church and in humanity today? See, we are created to be dependent. God said, but we have to listen. We have to uh, constantly be going back to him. We have to cultivate a relationship with him, allowing him to speak to us. And we listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We trust God even when it doesn't make sense. You see, without a dependence on God to define our identity and purpose, we get lost. We get lost in a world that can't define itself and a world that's constantly trying to define how we should define ourselves. When we aren't focused on whose we are, it's no wonder we can easily lose sight of who we are. Dependence is at the very center of our being. It's how God created us. But it's not a culturally accepted norm, right? The world sees dependence as weakness. But what if weakness wasn't a bad thing? You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul goes on, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content in my weakness, hardships, insults, persecutions, and calamities. When I am weak, then I am strong. If Paul, if Paul can understand his weakness, how can I keep going through life on my own strength, trying to hide my failures and my faults. I can't, and neither can you. The truth is that sometimes bearing the image of God isn't just looking like him. It's showing the world my personal need for him. Listen, I try not to sin. I try not to fail. I try not to fall short, but I found that there's a beauty in realness. And being able to proclaim, listen, I know I I am weak in that area. And you saw that. And listen, but can I say that is not a reflection on my God. That's just highlighting the idea of how dependent I am on him. So we find this idea of identity through dependence and we find purpose through dependence. Right. We've all we've all heard the questions right of humanity. Why am I here What's the purpose of life? Is there anything past this, right? I mean, maybe, maybe that's your questions this morning. We all have this longing to answer these questions. Why? Well, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 3.11, and it says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. God put it in our heart. This idea that there's a sense that life continues beyond this. We were designed to seek answers to those purpose-defining questions. God put it there. God has given us this eternal awareness. And if we depend on him and his word to define us, then we will find that purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were created to do good works for God's glory. 
First Peter 2.9 says, we are a people of his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. You are called to talk about how awesome God is. First Colossians 1.16 says, all things were created through him and for him. You are not created for your own pleasure and purposes, but you were created for God to enjoy. Isaiah 43.7 says that everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, you were created to glorify God with all that you think, say, and do. John Piper says that when God says that he made us for his glory, he doesn't mean that he made us so that he could become more glorious in himself, but instead in Isaiah 43, 7 that we just read, he means is that he's created us to display his glory. That is that his glory might be known and praised. It's going back to that idea of the emperors with the statues, right? Like we are here so that other people can see how good our God is and his name would be praised more and more and more. That's an incredible purpose. That's an incredible identity. And that purpose though is best fulfilled when we do it together, which leads to my last point that we are designed to live in godly community. Why? because God exists in community. In the opening sentence of verse 26, it says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And sometimes this can be a confusing statement, right? We see hints of the Trinity, but some have tried to explain it away as the us and the our, as a conversation with angels or a plurality of majesty. But those arguments fall short. Why? Because Angels are not created in God's image and majesty is not the focus of this verse. This is a divine inner dialogue. And if you go back to the first three verses of Genesis, we see all three parts of the triune God, right? In the beginning, God, that's God the Father. And the spirit of God was hovering, that's God the Spirit. And then in verse three, creation starts with God said. And we know from John one, Jesus was the word of God. So now as the focus shifts, that word then, as it shifts to humanity, God himself had an inner dialogue that shows God's triune community that we were created to bear. J.D. Greer says this about being created in God's image of community. Because we are created in the image of God who exists in love, our lives will never be complete until we are living in love and community with others. The path of godliness always leads towards community. The path of godlessness always leads towards isolation. The path of godliness leads towards relationships and commitment in things like small groups. God created our hearts and lives to work only when we are in deep community with others. And this is why your life will never be complete until you're in that deep, committed community. See, my experience with godly community is this. It's hard. <laughs> it's messy. It's time-consuming. But those are the reasons why we need community. Like everyone else, I've got junk in my life. I've got trials in my life. I've got things that are overwhelming. I've got kids that have no idea how to put their stuff away. Sorry, venting a little bit. I've got struggles too. And if I'm not in community, if I'm isolated, like J.D. Greer said, then that all just festers inside of me. 
And I could try and hide it and, and I can do that pretty well and so can you. Of course, until somebody cuts me off on a mockery or something, right? But if we want to live out our identity and purpose by being image bearers, we will be committed to real, transparent, open community where you walk through the highs and lows of life together. You know, over a decade ago when uh, myself and my family felt called into ministry, we didn't know exactly what that looked like. Well, it turns out it looked like a giant salary cut and living in someone's house for six months. But you know what? Through that process, we were in this beautiful, deeply committed, godly community, and they walked through it with us in prayer and encouragement and even financially when we needed it. Because that's what we're created for. That's how God has made us. But why do we do it? If it's messy, if it's hard, all those things, because it's good too. Being committed to community helps us to best bear the image of God that we are made in. Acts 42 or Acts 2.42 talks about the idea of how they, the, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And what's going on there is they start seeing wonders and signs and they met together and they met each other's needs and they broke bread together all while they were praising God. And then what happens? It says at the end of that part of scripture that God added to their number day by day. Here's the secret. It wasn't about how great their children's program was. It wasn't about how awesome their social media was. It wasn't even about how great the preaching or the worship was. No, it was about God working through faithful, committed, godly community. And then God showed up and did the work. And here's what I believe. I believe that God wants to continue to do work here through godly community. I would not be the man that I am today without the people that God has blessed me to surround myself with. But you have to make it a priority. You have to put effort into it. And you know, my wife was actually up on this stage uh, this past Wednesday. They had a panel of women up here talking about friendship and things. And my wife was talking about why we end up avoiding community sometimes. And she said that uh, we believe the lie that we're too busy, so we don't make time for it. We believe the lie that social media is an adequate substitute, and so we settle. Or we be believe the lie of independence, and we think, I don't need anybody else's help. But see, the truth is, is that in Genesis 2.18, we see that God says, it is not good for man should to be alone. Let me say that one more time. In Genesis 2.18, it says, it is not good that man should be alone. Pastor Drew Hunter says, God repeatedly pronounced over the whole creation that it was good. Then when he creates humanity, starting with one person, he says, it's not good. And this is before sin has entered into the world, which means that the first problem of the world was not sin, but solitude. The first problem in the world was not idolatry, but isolation. He goes on to say that God is not an isolated being. He is Father, Son, and Spirit, eternally existing in fellowship of love. This God made us in his image to be in rich, deep community with him and with one another. In my life, community is where I've found accountability, encouragement, wisdom, help, affirmation, and even though it's hard, sometimes conviction. 
God's image is one of community. And because we're created in an image of community, we are not complete until we experience community. And if you've not gotten plugged into a a weekend group or a midweek group, my question is, what are you waiting for? God has created you for community. The, The goal of First Naples is to not just be an attender of services, but to experience God through community in groups and help others experience Jesus through service. It's not easy. It takes time. It takes commitment and realness. But you were designed for it. What is God's design for humanity? I believe it's to bear God's image physically and to share his story verbally, fueled by complete dependence on him within godly community. You know, value changes everything. When you see the value that something has or even the potential value that it might have one day, it changes the way that you see it, the way that you talk about it, the way that you protect it. Look, if my, if my grandma, she's a financially savvy woman, if my grandma or my uncle had known that that amazing fantasy comic would ever one day be worth $3.6 million, I promise you, they would have probably like invented the first airtight ceiling something to make sure they protected it. See, it's, it's, it's because of the value that we see in it. I promise you, they would not have burned it in a 55-gallon drum. But it's just a comic book. It's just drawings on paper. How do we know that it's worth $3.6 million? Because that's what someone was willing to pay for it. How do I know that I have value? How do I know that you have value? because of the price that God was willing to pay. He created you to bear his image physically, to share his story verbally, dependent on him within godly community. And when we ran from our identity, God bought us back for way more than $3.6 million. He sent his one and only son as a sacrificial lamb to die for our sins, the wrongs that we've committed against him to pay our debt. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to me to the Father except through me. Do you believe your value today, church? Do you believe what God has designed you for? It's a design that's far greater than any promotion or relationship or healing or identity that the world can offer. And when we accept this value, God gives us Scripture says that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're like my grandma. And you see no value in the funny books. And you're here searching for identity and value. And you need to embrace, maybe for the first time, who God has designed you to be. A child, an heir, and you need to accept that gift of salvation. Do it today. Don't waste his breath. And maybe you're here today and you're like my uncle. And and you know that the comic has some value, but you've never really thought that it would be as valuable as it really is. You're here. You know Jesus. But that's as far as it goes. Maybe today is the day that you stop by the next steps area as you leave and you find out about our groups and you get committed to godly community. Or maybe, maybe today is the day that you finally turn over your independence and you lay it at the feet of Jesus to be fully dependent on him. 
Or maybe you're here today and you're like the buyer at the auction. You understand your full value and you're committed here at First Nables. Well, maybe today it's time to start praying through what it looks like to live that out. Listen, we can say we value life all day long, but what are we doing that shows that belief to a world that's watching? Wherever you are, whatever decision or next step you need to make, do it today. Don't waste his breath. We'll have pastors down here after service. You can talk to them. They'd love to pray with you, all of those kind of things, but you have to embrace it. You have to embrace that you were created to bear God's image physically, to share his story verbally, fueled by complete dependence on him within godly community. Church, would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, that you are creator. God, that you made us in your image to bear your image. God, that you've given us purpose and identity, that you've called us to be dependent on you and to live with each other, encouraging in one each other, building each other up within godly community. God, would we do that today, wherever we're at, whatever step we need to take, would we make it today and would we not waste your breath? God, we love you and we thank you and all God's people said. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.